So there will be probably a few more scriptures on the screen than I normally would use. Get too many, they all run together and you get distracted, but I, I want all of us to be able to see what the Word of God truly says about the things that I'm sharing tonight. The title of the message is The Punishment That Brought Us Peace. The Punishment That Brought Us Peace. And really, that title is right out of Isaiah 53. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah 53 just before we receive communion. So as we look forward to Easter, where we all, I think we all love to celebrate Easter, to gain a more complete and a more full picture of what really we are celebrating on Easter Sunday, I think it's really important that we really spend the time looking at what we call Good Friday. And it seems like kind of a very ironic name that it would be called Good Friday when we think of all the things that took place. To the natural eye, there was very little that took place on that Friday that we would call good. It was unfair and unjust. It was horrifying all the things that took place. But from the Father's perspective and from His perfect plan, it was a great Friday, Good Friday. Little background I think we're all aware of. Jesus and His disciples had just observed the Passover meal and what we call the Last Supper. They had shared what we now call communion. They didn't understand what it was all about, like we ought to. But Jesus gave them the bread and the cup, representing his body and, wine, and, his body and blood, and what was going to take place in a very short time. And when they finished the supper, they left the building, left the house that they were gathered in, and they went through the city gate, and they walked out across the Kidron Valley, And they were headed up the Mount of Olives. And at the base of the Mount of Olives was this olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane. And they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you can almost picture in your mind the the fresh air of the evening, the cool air of the evening, as they were coming into the Garden of Eden, and and most of the disciples sat down. And Jesus took Peter and James and John with him a little further into the garden, And he said, I'm going to pray, and I want you to stay here with me. It was almost to be saying, I want you guys to stay here with me, and I want you to stay awake. I want you to be part of what I'm doing, even though you can't really be part of what I'm doing. And when he got there, he started to pray. And we read some scriptures that we're all very familiar with, I'm sure. First, I'm going to read one from Luke, and then we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark. In Luke 22, verse 44, It describes Jesus. And you can imagine the disciples, when they hear this, coming from the communion dinner and the the Last Supper, the Passover meal, now they they hear these words and we see this description of Jesus. It says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 34, we read these words. Jesus saying, 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he prays, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Why such agony is the question that I ask when I read this. I had an opinion years ago, but I don't think I had a full understanding by any means. I believe as we're going to look at this, one of the answers, if not the answer, is the cup. That's what he prayed about, the cup. But before we go there, let's take a step back. Imagine if you would, we're going to go back in time before creation. Before God had created anything. Before He had created the planets, the stars. Before the beauty of earth had been created. Before He had created and breathed life into Adam. At that time, God knew what sin was going to do to His creation. He already knew. Scripture says not only did he know, he had a plan before the foundations of the world to save the world, to redeem the world. So even before he started speaking into being all that exists, he knew what was going to happen. He knew when the fall of man would occur that sickness and disease and death were going to enter into the world. He knew as the earth itself aged, there would be earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, famines. He knew all of these things that were going to happen to his creation before he even created it. But he had a plan. He had a solution. And I believe clearly we see in Scripture the solution that he was going to ask his son Jesus, God the Son, to become the Lamb of God whose blood would be shed as that sacrifice for our sins. So let's look at ourselves right now as with Peter and James and John in the garden. What would you think when you hear Jesus saying those words? My soul is overwhelmed. There's such great sorrow almost unto death And he's praying, if it's possible, Father. And we know with God all things are possible. Jesus knew this. And he says, if it be possible. What is he saying? If there is another plan, if there's a plan B, could we go there? And his prayer was, if it be possible, remove the cup. Remove the cup. Take this cup from me. That I would not have to drink of that cup. That was his prayer request. That's what he was asking for. And then as you're watching along with Peter and James and John, you see he's so under stress. Could even have been fearful. He's sweating. But the sweat that's dropping from his brow is red. He's sweating the drops of blood 
The agony is so intense. The stress is so intense. Capillaries beneath his skin are bursting. And blood is coming out through the pores of his skin. This is before the cross. This is before his betrayal. This is before his arrest. This is before anything had taken place. Why the agony? And I believe the answer is the cup. And if we look into Scripture, we can see it appears that there was an eternal covenant made between the Father and the Son, and I would believe the Holy Spirit, before the foundations of the world. In Hebrews 13, verse 20, it says this, Now now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with His blood. An eternal covenant. One that it was always and always will be in effect. First Peter 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with the perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life that you inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundations of the world. I believe Jesus, the Son, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit all would have known this and understood this. I believe this because of the Scriptures, but I also believe that there is no way Jesus would have been an acceptable sacrifice if God was going to spring it on him on the cross. I believe as as a man, he needed to know exactly what was coming so that he could willingly go and face what the Father required for His justice to be met for our sin. What was the cup that Jesus was asking the Father to remove? Most of us, maybe some of us still do, maybe most of us still do. I know I did for a long time. I just assume it was the suffering in a very general sense that He was going to be facing. Suffering emotional and physical He was going to suffer the the betrayal of one of his twelve. He was going to to experience the totally unjust, fake trial. He was going to be humiliated and shamed and spit upon. He was going to have a crown of thorns forced down his head until the blood was running down his face. He was going to be whipped with a, a whip The cat of nine tails at the end of each whip, each strand were sharp lamb bones that just ripped the flesh off his body. He was going to be taken out on a hill and nailed with spikes in his hands and his feet to a cross. Finally, he was going to be dead and have a spear thrust in his side. And then he was going to be laid on a cold slab of stone in a tomb when the door shut, the stone rolled in front of it. Wouldn't that be enough to make you be in agony as you're praying? And if that's all it was, that would be more than enough that should cause us to love Him, thank Him, praise Him, worship Him, glorify Him, as long as we would live. 
But the reality is this. As horrible as that was, Christians have been martyred for hundreds, thousands of years. Christians have been crucified on the crosses. Christians have been beheaded. Christians have been burned at the stake alive. And most of them went proclaiming the name of Jesus. Not filled with fear. Not crying out for their freedom. Not renouncing Christ. But filled with faith. There are quotes of the martyrs that are just astounding as they're about to be killed. And I don't believe that Jesus had less faith or was less brave than those people. So I don't believe all those horrible things that he was going to face are what was in the cup. What could be worse? Seems like a logical question. What could be worse than all of that? All that Jesus faced? The trauma that he faced. What could possibly be worse than this? To get an idea of the cup, I'm going to take us back into the Old Testament and then we're going to jump all the way to the book of Revelation. And I think when you'll see is the cup, the Father's cup, referred to over and over. And wherever you hear about the Father's cup, you will discover it's a cup of judgment. Judgment. I'm just going to put a few partial scriptures on the screen. But if you read the context of each one of them, you'll see that the judgment of God is what's being talked about in each one of these scriptures. In Psalm 75, verse 8, in the hand of the Lord is a cup. And that cup is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. It's going to be poured out upon the wicked of the earth. Ezekiel 23, verse 33, it's called the cup of horror and the cup of desolation. Jesus, is, God the Father, is speaking to His people and said, You have forgotten Me. Therefore, the cup of horror and desolation has come. Jeremiah 25.15 The cup is referred to as being filled with the wine of My wrath. All of Babylon, and it lists all these other countries that the cup of His wrath is going to be poured out on them. Isaiah 51, verses 17 and 22. It says, The cup that made you stagger. For the cup, the goblet of My wrath will be poured out upon you. In Isaiah 53, verses we may be familiar with, it says, we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment, the judgment that actually brought us peace was upon him. Jesus is in the garden is praying about the Father's cup. And can it possibly be removed? Isn't there another way? But if there isn't, 
Your will be done. Then let's jump to Revelation. Chapter 14. We see a very clear description given by an angel in heaven for all who take the mark of the beast. In other words, for all who reject Christ. For all who reject salvation because of the sacrifice of Jesus. It says literally, for those that will take the mark of the beast. It says these words, they will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of His anger. And He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, and they will have no rest night and day. What a horrid picture of hell. The wrath of God will be poured out in its fullness upon those who reject Jesus. And in Revelation 16, verse 19, it says, the cup of wine of His fierce wrath. And in that section of Scripture, it's talking about the seven bowls. And this is part of the seventh bowl being poured out on the earth. When you look through all these scriptures, you see one theme every time it talks about the Father's cup. It's not death. It's judgment. Judgment. When we look about the cup that Jesus is praying about, praying about, if you can just picture this, the wrath of God that all sin deserved from the time of the garden till the time that Jesus went to the cross and until the time He comes back again. All that wrath, it's like it's condensed in His fullness of fury and it's put in the cup and Jesus is saying, I'll drink it if that's what needs to be done. I will take it all. I'll take it all. And the agony of that reality caused him to bleed, sweat, drops of blood. And I believe that's what Jesus saw as he was looking into that cup. He knew full well what was in the cup. But I also believe this. He saw something else when he looked into the cup. I believe what he saw was you and me. The bride, his church. He saw those that he loved so much. He saw how much the Father loved us in the midst of what was about to take place. So as he looked into that cup, an emotion greater than fear motivated him the emotion of love. The love for people. The love for you and me. For His bride that He will come back for one day. And I believe all that Jesus was about to endure was part of that eternal covenant before creation even began. That Jesus knew full well what He was about to experience. For us. Hebrews 13, verse 20 says, Now the God of peace 
who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ. This covenant of redemption, or there's a theological term, this covenant of the the propitiation. And that word propitiation simply means the one who absorbs or averts the wrath of God. The substitute to avert the wrath of God. Jesus just didn't deflect it. He absorbed it. The wrath of the Father. Sometime while He was on that cross, I mentioned, I believe, last week, tells us the iniquity iniquity of us all was put upon Him. And all of that iniquity, all of that sin, required, because of the justice of God, the fullness of His wrath to be poured out. And Jesus took it all. 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not only for us, but for all of those in the whole world who receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Sometimes when we look at the cross or talk about the cross, we don't think about all these things. More often than not, if someone mentions a cross, our picture in our mind might even be somebody's necklace or their earrings. The cross. Sometimes we think of a cross in a church building. But we don't think of what took place on that cross, I believe, in the fullness because it's so hard to comprehend. There's a scripture in Isaiah, and I'll be reading it shortly. But if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, it talks about prophetically Jesus and what was going to happen to him. And then you come to verse 10. I believe it's verse 10. And it says these words after it talked about all these things that are going to happen to Jesus, it says, and it pleased the Father to crush him. How can that be? He's not talking about what he had to endure or what he had to suffer. He was pleased that his son paid the price for his plan of redemption to be fulfilled. He was pleased. That's how value, how much He values us. It should show us the horror of sin and the love of a Father that's almost beyond our comprehension. And a Savior who loved us so much, He looked in the cup and said, okay, let's go. And it happened. I believe to understand All of this is important so that we can understand this scripture that we find in Ephesians about God's love. It says that you may know the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the Father's love for us and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge or understanding. And I realize, I know for me anyway, I can't comprehend with my natural mind that kind of love. But I know it's more than anything 
I can imagine, and it's from the Father who is love. Can you imagine a church filled with that kind of understanding that knows this kind of love, how much they would passionately love and serve Jesus? When we get it, when we understand it, how could we not be passionate about Jesus? How could we not be emotional emotional about Jesus? It shouldn't be possible. This is love, 1 John 4.10, that not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent us His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah 53. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it as we prepare to receive communion together. It starts out with these words. Who has believed our message? Or who has believed our report? Even when Isaiah the prophet wrote these words, he tells us first thing, there's going to be a whole lot of people who won't receive it. Let it not be us. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of purchased ground, parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised, forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men would even hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not even open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And and it is for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. That's us. He will prolong his days. He's eternal. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This time, if you have the elements, I encourage you to take them.
And this evening we're looking back more than we're looking forward. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. They'd finished their meal. He took the bread and he broke it. He knew it was coming even though they didn't understand. We look back upon it with understanding. And he told his disciples, take, eat of this bread. It is my body broken for you. Let's eat of the bread together. after they had eaten of the bread he took the cup and as he held the cup before them he said this is my blood blood of the new covenant blood that will be shed for you let's drink of the cup together you would stand if you're able Close with this song.